Welcome back to Books with Bert. The invention of the airplane was a great accomplishment in American history. Everybody knows that. But most people don't know that the federal government, leaders in the federal government, believed it was essential to award a federal subsidy to a man named Samuel Langley in order to make that invention possible. Our book this week is entitled Uncle Sam Can't Count. I co-authored this book with my wife, Anita Folsom. We'll be hearing from her later. The reason for the federal subsidy that Samuel Langley was to receive was so the United States would be able to compete effectively to try to invent the airplane. England, France, Germany had all been awarding subsidies to people in their own country to try to invent the airplane because it was widely believed and recognized that the country that had an airplane had an incredible military advantage over other countries. Therefore, you wanted your country to be first to invent the airplane, and our strategy in the United States was, hey, maybe a federal subsidy would be wise to make that happen. The question then is, why award a subsidy to a man named Samuel Langley? The answer is that Samuel Langley appeared to be the best bet to invent the airplane. He was the most knowledgeable man in the United States on the subject of aerodynamics. He had written a path-breaking book entitled Experiments in Aerodynamics. He was a leading scientist in the United States. He was head of the Smithsonian Institution. He had honorary degrees from Harvard and Yale, Oxford and Cambridge. He was considered one of the greatest scientists in the United States, and he had already launched a successful unmanned flight of an airplane over the Potomac River. It was a small plane, maybe the size a little bit larger than a model airplane, but it was still had an engine and it went over the Potomac River and it gave the impression to the leaders in the United States that maybe Langley was the man to award a subsidy to so that the United States would be the nation that could invent the airplane. Teddy Roosevelt was in the late 1800s the Assistant Secretary of War under President McKinley. He was especially exuberant about Langley. He said, Langley's machine has worked. It seems to me worthwhile for this government to try whether or not it will work on a larger scale to be of use in the event of war. Roosevelt's endorsement was important because the subsidy disasters with the Union Pacific Railroad and the Collins Steamship Line had, for the past generation, knocked the government out of economic planning. Many politicians absolutely doubted the government's ability to pick winners and losers, at least through federal aid. But Langley and his airplane seemed to be different and worthy of political support. Perhaps this was the moment in history when a strategic federal gift would foster the invention to vault the United States into military dominance in the world. Langley found himself before key political and military leaders with the chance to state his case. He did so, and he promised 
that he would probably within a year be able to build a successful airplane, a manned flight. He said he thought it would be able to be in the air for hours. In fact, as he pursued this project, he had a compass that was woven into the pants of his pilot so that the pilot, when he was in the air, would be able to know which direction he was going so he would be able to get back to the place where it started. He was very confident that he could build a successful airplane, and the federal government awarded him a subsidy equivalent in today's money of over $1 million. During the building of the airplane, Langley would be interviewed occasionally by newspaper men, and those interviewers uh, found Langley very confident of success. Langley, as a man with honorary degrees from Harvard and Yale, uh, selected a, another Ivy League graduate to be his pilot. Uh, Charles Manley was from Cornell. And Manley was a young man who was going to be the pilot that Langley thought would be the first one to fly. They scheduled their first flight for October 7, 1903. The flight was preceded by a 21-gun salute. Reporters were right there on the Potomac to watch Langley's plane shoot off of the platform into the air. The plane, in fact, did shoot into the air right off the platform as promised. However, the plane immediately went into the water. The pilot was rescued, so no one died, but the reporters were very critical. The Washington Post, the newspaper of record, had 13 words to say about this flight. The editorial writer at the Post said this, quote, Any stout boy of 15 could have skimmed an oyster shell much farther. In other words, the flight was a complete disaster. No flight, in fact, took place. And Langley said, hey, not to worry. Experimenters often have an unsuccessful first attempt that he had enough money there to have another flight and would do so very soon. In fact, he did so on December 8th, 1903, this time without the 21-gun salute. But the plane went flying into the air. It was the same pilot, by the way, who agreed to come back for a second round. And the plane went into the air, crashed again into the water, virtually destroying the wings and much of the airplane. This time, the critics were even harsher. Reports of the event varied from mirth at the pretentious disaster that Langley just subjected the United States to, to irritation that he had wasted federal funds. The Boston Herald urged Langley to abandon flying machines and focus instead on submarines. The New York Times had already concluded that a flying machine might yet be built, but only if mathematicians and engineers worked at it very hard for the next million years or so. Well, the New York Times was going to be off on their estimate by about 999,999 years, 356 days. Because nine days after Langley's second failure, the Wright brothers, two bicycle mechanics, 
uneducated bicycle mechanics from Dayton, Ohio, with a mere $2,000 of their own money, launched the first successful flight in world history of an airplane. The Wright brothers spent several winters at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, where they were practicing the study of wind currents and building these gliders. They did not believe the engine was as important as Langley thought it to be. The engine, of course, is important, but they believed that trying to learn about birds and learn about the way that animals who could fly did so was important. And I want to call on Anita, my co-author here, and really the tech person in the family, to tell us a little bit about the strategy of the Wright brothers. Anita, uh, they were at Kitty Hawk, and they spent several winters there. They were just amateurs, and they were working with their own money. They had no subsidy. What kinds of work were they engaged in as they built their airplane? Thank you, Bert. Uh, I find the the story of Orville and Wilbur Wright just to, to be fascinating because it shows what Americans can do when they really put their heart and minds into a project without government funding, just by reading and studying and giving it their best efforts. Orville and Wilbur Wright, once they had decided that, that mastering the art of building a glider was important. They had to construct their own device for gliding that could control the energy of the wind. They used the principles of lift and drag. Those principles were widely understood, but they also had to figure out how to use those effectively. And they came up with a, a technique called wing warping which means that you curve the wing surface to capture more energy from the wind. They also used a double-decker wing so that their uh, glider would have two wings on each side, a double-decker, and that gave more efficiency and it also was steadier. The pilot would actually lie down in a prone position on the middle of the bottom wing and use both his hands and feet to uh, control wires that guided the, the glider. So after much trial and error, they began to master this idea and these concepts. And they just continually worked on devices. Even in, in their bicycle shop in Dayton, Ohio, they uh, built a six-foot-long wind tunnel and used the wind tunnel to study the shape of wings and what worked the best because they were convinced that using the winds was the smart thing to do. And even today, if you watch airplanes at an airport, they the best way to take off is into the wind, and the Wright brothers figured that out along with other people at the time. So unlike Langley, they weren't concentrating at first on the engine. They were, con they were concentrating on how do we glide and, and make this the most efficient and steady craft available. To get an engine, the Wright brothers didn't have a lot of money, so they actually just went to one of their bicycle mechanics there in Dayton and said, do you think you could build a very lightweight engine? And he said, I'll give it a try. They needed an engine that weighed less than 200 pounds. And the, their bike mechanic came up with that, and uh, it was such a casual effort that he didn't even have drawings of how he constructed the first one. He just put it together. So through trial and error, they really began to make so many innovations. 
Another aspect of the Wright brothers' research for their plane was designing a propeller. If you look at the propellers on modern aircraft that are propeller-driven, there's a curved surface to maximize the airflow. It's not just a flat board. It's curved. And the Wright brothers filled five notebooks with formulas and tests and computations that showed how to get the forward thrust they needed, which specially curved blades would work the best. And they were so successful at that that modern engineers are still amazed at the curvature of their propeller and how well it worked. So that's the story of just some of the, uh, the research that, that they did. The Wright brothers felt uh, nine days after the Langley failure that they were ready to fly their machine. And, and they had to carry it up uh, to the hill from which they were going to use to launch it. And so the, they started, they were going to alternate. Uh, Wilbur would fly one and then Orville would fly one. And they started with Wilbur, but the first attempt to fly was not successful. And Wilbur crashed and then they had to wait a while. Then Orville had the second chance and he went and he made a successful flight. Yes, Bert. Imagine the, the excitement on December 17, 1903, when Orville Wright made the first manned flight in world history. He only flew 120 feet and was in the air 12 seconds. But everyone was so excited that the brothers tried three more flights that day. Wilbur set the record by staying aloft for 59 seconds and traveling 852 feet. So you can see they are already improving every time they fly. This was so exciting to them, they wired their father about their success, but there were no reporters. The Wright brothers did not want reporters on the scene because they were concerned that they would take photographs and write descriptions and someone would steal their ideas. So the only people who saw the Wright brothers fly that day, there were witnesses, were men from the tiny little hamlet of Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And those men were necessary because every time the Wright brothers wanted to fly, the men had to push the glider back up the hill because there was no way to get it up the hill other than by manpower at that time. That must have been incredibly thrilling for those spectators on hand to actually see that happen. One of the helpers was Johnny Moore, and I like it when we were when we were writing this chapter, Anita thought we've got to quote Johnny Moore on this, and I thought you were absolutely right. Yes, Johnny Moore, a young young guy at the scene of the flight, was so excited that he ran into Kitty Hawk to spread the news, and he told the first person he met, "They done it. They done it. Damned if they ain't flew." But as I said, there were no re newspaper reporters present, so there weren't any photos. And no English teachers to correct grammar. No, no English teachers either. So the, one of the few papers in the country who reported the flight was the Dayton Daily News in Dayton, Ohio, because uh, they knew the Wright brothers and received uh, an account of their flight. During the next five years after the Wright brothers flew their first flight, the Wright brothers began working on 
perfecting what they were doing because Langley was interested in inventing the airplane, but the Wright brothers knew that an invention isn't worthwhile unless it is commercially feasible. And to be commercially possible, an airplane had to be able to fly longer distances than 59 seconds. And it had to be able to have takeoff and landing. It needed an airport. They needed to make circular moves in the air. They worked on all of this during the next five years. Now, it's interesting that during that time, there were some people who thought, maybe we ought to give the Wright brothers a federal subsidy. Wilbur Wright said this, quote, We have not thought of asking financial assistance from the government. We propose to sell the results of experiments finished at our own expense. In other words, the Wright brothers wanted to build a commercially feasible airplane and ultimately sell it to the government for, for military purposes. In 1908, the Wright brothers were ready with their airplane called the Wright Flyer 3. The Wright Flyer 3 was offered to the government for $25,000. Now, interestingly, Langley was trying to get a subsidy for a third flight. The federal government, however, turned him down. One congressman said, You can tell Langley for me that the only thing he ever made fly was government money. The Wright brothers, however, took a very different tact from Langley. They didn't go to Congress and ask for money. They simply kept working on their invention and improved it and finally decided that they would display what they could do in 1908 at two different locations. One of the brothers went to France to an air show where there would be many, many people from Europe who could watch what their airplane could do. And the other brother went to Fort Myer in near Washington, D.C. to display what the, the plane could do. Wilbur was flying airborne over French soil on August 7th, 1908, and the onlookers were absolutely amazed because... They had considered the Wright brothers' claims to be a bluff. They called them bluffures in French. But Wilbur was there to prove them wrong. He executed a perfect figure eight, and onlookers said it was as graceful as a bird. And a young journalist there who wrote about it later said, to behold this flying machine turn sharp round at the end of the wood and continue on its course is an enchanting spectacle. The wind does not seem to trouble him. And meanwhile, Orville was at Fort Myer to show the latest model of their airplane to the military. On September 3rd, he flew a flight similar to Wilbur's, and as it stayed airborne, a reporter from the Washington Star heard a long, indrawn breath from the crowd. Orville also turned his plane to circle over the field, and some in the crowd even wept as they realized the accomplishment they had just witnessed. Man had conquered the air. The story of Samuel Langley and the story of the Wright brothers and the airplane is very instructive. Unfortunately, in history books, uh, unfortunately, uh, the Langley episode is rarely mentioned. The Wright brothers are occasionally mentioned. So that students never come away with the idea that federal funding was a disaster. By failing to tell the story of Langley and the Wright brothers together, we missed the message 
that the federal government is absolutely terrible at picking winners and losers, even when they have the best, most knowledgeable person to award a subsidy to. The Wright brothers would never have been candidates to receive a subsidy. They had no education. They were merely experimenting. They didn't have the kind of training and expertise. They only had spent $2,000 of their own money. Uh, They were very unlikely candidates to be the first ones to invent an airplane. But the beautiful thing is, in a market economy, those kinds of people get their chance. Now, it would have been a mistake, for example, once the Wright brothers flew, to automatically give them a subsidy or to award them with special airmail contracts. Why don't we see what others can do? Again, markets work well. The Wright brothers, although they were absolutely brilliant at inventing the first airplane, they were not as good as going through the next stage of the invention, which is to develop commercially viable airplane businesses. Uh, William Boeing, Glenn Curtis, and others proved to be better at the second stage of airplane flights. And so what happened was the commercial success did not much go to the Wright brothers. It went to the next generation. In a market economy, others proved to be better than the Wright brothers. The lesson here is that central planning fails again. It always fails. It fails because no one person or group can know enough to control the variables to plan effectively to run an economy. The Wright brothers are a classic example of that. They were not the people who a central planner would have picked to award a contract for an airplane, or at least to build an airplane. In a way, I think this is rather exciting. The Wright brothers were people of unpretentious origins. They were strong Christians. By the way, they wore suit and ties uh, when they were out there at Kitty Hawk. They wanted to always represent God uh, in the right way. They wanted to show people that that they were civil, that they were uh, delighted to be there at Kitty Hawk. Henry Ford was somewhat the same way. Henry Ford came from very modest background. And so you get Henry Ford, the Wright brothers, and and others who would have had no chance in a society where government is picking people to run businesses. They simply had the talent, Ford and the Wright brothers, to run businesses and run them very well in the early 1900s. Henry Ford, like the Wright brothers, proved himself not quite as able to do the next stage of car development. General Motors was the one who was doing the ignition starts and other improvements in automobiles, and General Motors was outpacing Ford Motor during the 1920s. So, as long as we have a market economy, we give entrepreneurs encouragement, America has been able to produce entrepreneurs to make the inventions, and often, even though those inventors can't sustain their achievements through even 20 years, the market economy is good at rewarding consumers with really good products at competitive prices. The story of the Wright brothers has not been told well in textbooks, but it has been told well in other writings on the subject. For example, James Tobin's book, The Wright Brothers and the Great Race for Flight, is a remarkable book. And Anita and I read it thoroughly and we use it often. A more recent book which is useful is David McCullough. His book's entitled 
the Wright brothers. And that concludes today's episode of Books with Bert. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to subscribe and rate my podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or any other place where you get podcasts so you don't miss future episodes. And if you liked today's episode and you want to find more content to fill your heart with love for America and conservative ideas, be sure to check out YAF.org. The conservative movement starts here. Until next time, keep reading.